Father, we hear news of revival around our land. And we pray, we pray for revival in our hearts today. We pray for revival in our church today. We pray for revival in our nation and our world today. Father, by your Holy Spirit, breathe new life into our faith. For those that are on the periphery, we pray today they would come into your family. For those who have been your children for a long time, may you renew our spirit. And we will give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Well, it's great. Actually, I was going to say how great it is to be here, but I've got to be honest with you and tell you I'm glad to be anywhere (laughs) after what happened to me in Little Rock, Arkansas. I went to Little Rock to speak at a charity event, and this pastor picked me up from the airport. And we're driving to the event. We're chatting along the way. He said, yeah. He said, I I told a young woman in our church, I said, Lee Strobel's going to speak tonight. She said, oh, the guy who wrote The Case for Christ, is he still living? (laughs) So I'm glad to be anywhere. I'm glad to be, but especially glad to be here with you guys. So I want to begin by asking you some questions. First question is this. Do you ever feel tired? When you wake up in the morning, do you you often feel pretty groggy? Do you find yourself during the day yawning a lot? Sometimes you feel like you're overbooked, overwhelmed, overworked, and overcommitted, right? Do you feel more exhausted by life than exhilarated by life? Do you find that little things make you angry? Do you find you have a lot of relationships that are draining rather than replenishing? Do you have a to-do list that never gets finished? You feel like sometimes you're in a car, you're zooming down the freeway, and life is just a blur as it's passing by. Well, chances are you're answering those questions with yes, yes, and more yes. Why? Because we live in the Woodlands, Texas. And that means we live amidst an epidemic of workaholism. We're the land of overachievers. And we're proud of it. We don't have time to rest. And we're proud that we don't have time to rest. Because rest is just another word for laziness, right? It's unproductive. If we stand still, we're falling behind, right? So we make excuses. We say things like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know I need rest. I'll rest on vacation. And then we go on vacation. We cram so many activities into our vacation. We get home and we say, man, I need a vacation to recover from my vacation, right? Or we say, you know, I'll rest on the weekend. And then the weekend comes, and we end up running around doing a bunch of errands or doing the laundry or taking the kids to the little league or mowing the lawn. And then we try to catch up on our sleep by going to bed for 10 hours, only to wake up with a sleep hangover because doctors tell us that sleep marathons just don't work. So, Houston, we got a problem. How do we start seeing rest as a positive and not a negative? How can we begin to see our personal replenishment as an investment in our health and in our well-being? How can we begin to see relaxation as a much-needed recovery from the inevitable busyness of life? Friends, this is a sermon for me as much as it is a sermon for you. Um, Ever since I turned 70 years old last year, I've realized i got to slow down more. And yet last year I ended up traveling 160,000 domestic miles to tell people about Jesus. 
Now, that's not a bad thing to do. It's a good thing to do, but you know what? So is um, spending time at home and relaxing and being with the family, slowing down, enjoying life, communing more with the Lord. We all need more of that, and that's why this message is called Finding Rest in a Restless World. Now, the topic of rest comes up very early in the Bible. We see in the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that's actually a figure of speech called a mirrorism, a Hebrew figure of speech. And what it means is God created everything. And then in the very next chapter, in Genesis 2, verse 2, it says that after God created everything, quote, he rested from all of his work. Now, this is a very misunderstood passage because God was not resting because he was exhausted. You know, he didn't sit down in an easy chair and put his feet up and say, man, creating those galaxies, that's hard work. I am really spent. I am no, God was not physically exhausted after creation. Isaiah 40, verse 28 says, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. See, God is spirit. He's not a biological organism like we are, and so he doesn't need the kind of rest that we do. And besides that, God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need the input of outside energy. And so when the Bible talks there in Genesis 2, verse 2, about God resting, the Hebrew word for rest is Shabbat. And that word can also mean to stop or to cease. And so here the Bible is saying that God purposefully stopped because he had already created that which he intended to create. In other words, he finished what he intended to do, and so he ceased his work. But at the same time, God was creating a model for us, a format for us. He was illustrating that at some point after we work, we do need to stop because we do need to rest. And of course, that's reflected in the concept of the Sabbath, that work should cease every seven days so we can refocus on the Lord and rest. Well, one resource I personally found in my quest to learn how to rest better uh, is a new book that just came out. It's called Sacred Rest. And it's written by a Christian physician by the name of Sandra Dalton-Smith. Now, she knows a thing or two about being busy. She's um, a, a married woman. She's a medical doctor with a very active practice. She's got two elementary-age boys. And so she knows what it means to be busy. And she's written, I think, a very insightful book about the topic of rest. And in fact, I found it so helpful in my life and in preparing for this sermon that I thought, let's get some extra copies. So we have extra copies here and at the other campus so that if you'd like to kind of grow in this area, you want some practical advice, I think this book is, is very helpful. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about four areas of rest that we need. Physical rest, mental rest, social rest, and spiritual rest. So first, let's talk about physical rest. Now, we typically associate the word uh, rest with sleep, and that's, of course, accurate. Um, sleep is a way that we replenish ourselves after our activity of the day. And Jesus, in his human nature, of course, he slept like everyone else. In fact, Jesus was not above catching a nap from time to time. Luke 8, verses 22 and 23 tell us, 
One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got in a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. Actually, he was so sound asleep in this nap, he didn't even notice that a squall came up and the boat began to get swamped. So that's how, how deep asleep he was at that point. Now these days, our problem is we don't get a sufficient amount of quality sleep. We don't often take naps. We don't often get enough hours of sleep at night. In fact, get this, a staggering 97% of Americans say they feel tired most of the time. 97%. But sleep is a gift that God wants us to enjoy. In fact, Psalm 127 verse 2 says, God gives sleep to those he loves. Sleep replenishes the mind and the body. Actually, a lack of sleep can increase your risk for all kinds of health problems, including weight gain, depression, anxiety, heart disease, and diabetes. In fact, just this last week, as I was preparing this message, a new study came out that showed that if you're over the age of 45 and you have very irregular sleep, you go to bed at different times every night and you get different amounts of sleep, there's a correlation between that and developing the disease of hardening of the arteries. So all kinds of health problems can result if we don't get adequate rest. Now, this is one area in which I personally have made some progress. Because when I turned 70 years old, I figured, you know, I've been burning the candle at both ends for a lot of years. I'm going to draw the line in the sand and say no more. And so I decided I am going to get eight hours of sleep every single night. It is a non-negotiable. And I've organized my life around getting eight hours of sleep. I feel much better as a result. I go to bed about the same time every night. Uh, I, I don't consume any caffeine after noon of the day so that I don't stay up at night. I try to get off the computer an hour or two before I go to bed so that my mind is at rest when I go to bed. And here's a little trick that, that I've tried, and I know it sounds weird, but it really does work. Um, I learned this from my personal doctor as well as from this book that I read. Get this. this you're not going to hear this in any other church on planet Earth today, okay? So here's the trick. When you go to bed, put on a pair of clean socks. I know that sounds weird, but they, the, the, the medical researchers have studied this, and guess what they found? People who wore socks to bed not only fell asleep quicker, but they reported staying asleep longer and experiencing an overall better quality of sleep. So there you go. It's worth the price of admission. Just wear, wear a pair of socks. <laughs> it works, I'm telling you. <laughs> now, sleep is a, is a passive form of physical rest, but there are also active ways that we can replenish ourselves physically as well. For example, there was a study done at the University of Georgia that showed if you exercise lightly, just lightly, three days a week for just 20 minutes at a time, you will reduce fatigue symptoms by 65%. So in other words, just taking a 20-minute walk instead of sipping a Red Bull can have all kinds of health benefits, including increased blood flow to the heart and increased oxygen flow to the lungs. Friends, physical rest and re recuperation are not a luxury. They are a necessity. 
God designed our bodies and our brains to be thoroughly refreshed every day. And so the first thing we need to do in our quest to get some serious rest is to get some serious sleep. Second area I want to talk about is mental rest. Mental rest. You know, these days, our minds are just bombarded with more stimulation than any other time in history. There's the 24-7 news cycle. It never shuts off. There's stimulation from social media and hours spent on the computer and the, the iPhones. There's a constant stream of emails and text messages. There's a mind-numbing number of streaming services flowing entertainment into your life. In fact, my wife and I just moved um, to a little area near um, in Montgomery, uh, Texas. And uh, so I, I called the cable company when we moved into the house to get things set up. So I called them up. I said, hey, we just moved in. Um, I'd like to get high-speed internet. They said, no problem. We got great high-speed internet. Okay, terrific. And I'd like to get cable TV. And she laughed. said, we don't do cable TV anymore. I said, excuse me, you're the cable company. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, nobody does cable TV anymore. It's all streaming services. So now I got 23,000 streaming services that are coming in. They all have one program I like, right? And I have no idea how much money I'm paying for this anymore. But it's just inundating me with entertainment, most of which I don't need or want. Uh, but that's personal complaints, sorry. <laughs> and then our minds are stimulated by the constant commentary that we have in our mind. We're often critiquing ourselves during the day. We're second-guessing ourselves. We're criticizing ourselves. We're reliving our past and wishing we'd said this or done this instead of this or that. We fret over our future, and we get exhausted by it. Dr. Dalton Smith said, mental fatigue is one of the significant causes of avoidable accidents. She said, when the mind is tired, it no longer has the capacity to effectively control the body and reflexes. The result is increased falls, car accidents, and damaging mistakes. Friends, we need to make a pact to intentionally regulate what we allow into our minds. Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I mean, friends, are we replenishing our minds every day with whatever is true and noble and lovely and right and admirable? Are we focusing on things that are excellent and praiseworthy? Or are we allowing the ugly pollution of the world just to wash over our thinking unabated? Well, there, it's one thing we can do to counter this um, worldly influence on our minds. You know what we can do? We can meditate on the Word of God. Meditate on the Word. I'm not just talking about reading the Bible. Hopefully we're all reading the Bible. I'm not talking about reading the Bible. I'm talking about meditating on the Word of God. Not just reading it, but lingering over it and soaking it in 
and pondering it and letting it refresh and realign our mind with the mind of God. This is very different. You know, you heard the term meditation uh, applied to Eastern religions. This is a totally different thing. In Eastern religions, um, uh, practitioners will chant meaningless phrases to try to empty their minds. The goal is to empty your mind. But in Christian meditation, we're trying to fill our mind with the word of God. As one expert put it, Meditation is a way of internalizing God's word, taking it deep into our hearts so that the Holy Spirit can work through it to guide us, teach us, purify us, and transform us from within. God, in the Old Testament, God told Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful. Friends, why not make 2023 the year that you begin to systematically meditate on the Bible? What does that look like? How do you get started? You start by just setting aside 20 or 30 minutes, say every other day, withdraw to a quiet place, and then go through what I call the three A's of meditation. The first A stands for the word ask. Ask, ask God, God, open my eyes, open my heart to what you want me to learn and absorb from this particular passage of scripture. Teach me, convict me, encourage me, grow me, transform me. You know, Holy Spirit, use this to bring the scriptures to life in my life. And the second A then stands for absorb. And I use that term very intentionally. Select a passage of scripture, maybe not a long one, maybe half a chapter or so, and don't just read it, don't just peruse it, don't race through it, but dig deeply into it. Prayerfully ponder it, internalize it, contemplate it, say it out loud, memorize parts of it, take notes and underline and highlight things. Consult commentaries that can provide you with context of what's going on. Um, Breathe in the word of God so that it can live inside of you. So ask, absorb, and then third A stands for apply. Ask God, how can I put this teaching, these insights, this wisdom into action in my life starting today? What does that look like? Make specific plans to implement these new learnings into your daily activity. Psalm 119 verse 99 says, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. Yeah, it, it can feel awkward at first. Your mind is gonna wander. I guarantee you, first few times, your mind is gonna wander. But the more you make it a habit to meditate on the word of God, the benefits to your life make it all worthwhile. Romans 12 verse two says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Friends, we all need to rest and recuperate from all the ugly and negative input that plague our minds every day. We need to realign our minds with the mind of God every day. 
We need to take time to meditate on his word because when we spend time doing that, I guarantee you, you spend a half an hour doing that, the rest of the day, the word of God is gonna reverberate through your heart and through your mind. And it'll be an antidote to the other kind of images that threaten to enter your head. So that's physical and mental rest. I wanna talk now about a third kind of rest and that's social rest, social rest. You know, we all have different kinds of relationships, right? Different levels of relationships in our life. We have golfing partners, right? We have tennis partners. We have pickleball partners, right? We have business partners. We have neighbors. We have customers. We have colleagues at work. We have hundreds of these acquaintances in our life. But these tend to be surface level relationships. All too often, they require our energy rather than replenish our energy. I mean, we don't feel comfortable really letting down our guard and relaxing and being our real selves with some of these people because we have a shallow relationship with them. It wouldn't be appropriate, you know, knock on the door of a neighbor we hardly know. Hey, can I come tell you about all the problems I'm having? It's not going to work. It's not appropriate. And so we have all these surface-level friendships, but they tend to drain us rather than replenish us. What we each need is at least one authentic, close, real, honest, safe friendship where we can rest easy in the fact that we can be ourselves and still be loved, where we feel safe and accepted, where we experience mutual encouragement and affirmation, where we can unburden ourselves as we honestly disclose our struggles and our secrets. Those are the kind of relationships that bring us rest and replenishment. Well, here's the key. Here's the key. The depth of any relationship is based on what you hold in common with the other person. The depth of any relationship is based on what it is you hold in common with that other person. So if what you hold in common with another person is you like to play golf together, your golfing partners, that's fine. But chances are you're not gonna go real deep in your relationship. You got golf in common, that's great, but it's not a formula for a real in-depth friendship. But if your commonality, what you hold in common with that other person is Jesus Christ, then at least the potential exists for a deep and an abiding friendship. The Old Testament describes a meeting of a low-status shepherd boy by the name of David with the king's firstborn son, Jonathan. In fact, they hit it off so well that 1 Samuel 18 verse 1 says, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. That imagery of knitting is important because when you knit, you're knitting together yarn of a similar nature. And here, the, the soul of David and the soul of Jonathan, were, they were intertwined with each other because they were of the same substance. They both loved God. And that gave them a commonality that allowed for a deep and an abiding friendship. Friends, I've had all kinds of friendships and relationships uh, in my life. But by far, by far the most compelling, the deepest, the most satisfying, the most replenishing 
have been those in which I share Jesus Christ with someone else. Where we have the same biblical values, where we share the substance of our souls with each other, where we pray together, we pray for each other, we give each other godly counsel and encouragement, where our hearts beat in unison for kingdom objectives. Those are the deepest relationships I've ever had. I think of my friend Mark Middleberg. Mark Middleberg and I met in 1987, and I don't think there's a day that goes by that we don't talk. Um, we have, he knows every secret of my life. I know every secret of his life. His kids call me Uncle Lee. Um, we go on vacations together. We, we, we're the best of friends. Our hearts, our souls have been knit together. Why? Because we like to play golf together? No, nothing wrong with that. But this is a different kind of relationship that goes so deep, it satisfies the soul. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's what Mark is like with me. Now you think of Jesus. You know, Jesus had all kinds of relationships and acquaintances and so forth, but then he had the 12 disciples, right? And then he had an inner circle, right? And of the inner circle, he was closest to John. The truth, friends, is these days in America, we've got an epidemic of loneliness. We really do. It's not because we lack relationships. We've got all kinds of acquaintances, but we don't have these kind of deep and profound friendships that can bring us rest and replenishment. And guess where a great place to build those relationships are? The church. The church. The church is full of people who love God and they love people. And what a great place to be able to build friendships that go beyond the surface. So have you ever thought about maybe making this the year that you, you step out of the shadows and maybe join a serving team or join a small group or uh, go on a, a short-term mission trip and, and meet some people, get to know them, what God might knit together your souls. Or another opportunity next Sunday, right after the 1130 service at both campuses, uh, there's a membership class. And if you ever considered being an official member of Woodlands Church, here's an opportunity. It's a free lunch. But also you're going to meet all kinds of people just like you who want to follow Christ and who um, want to have friendships that, that, that do more than just scratch the surface. So here's our opportunity, I think, to make 2023 that year. You don't want to go the rest of your life without those kind of friendships. I don't know if you saw it online the other day, but there was a, a story on, I saw it on Twitter, um, the, the video, where uh, some police officers were in a patrol car and they came across a car at the side of the road and there was a man in it and he was sobbing. He's by himself in the car, he's just weeping. And they play the body cam from the police officer. He goes up to the guy and he says, is there anything I can do for you? And the guy between sobs said, would you give me a hug? And the police officer said, of course I'll give you a hug. And so the guy gets out of the car and the officer gives him a hug and they sit down and they talk and the police officer actually gave him his phone number so they could connect and he could help him. And I thought, do you have, other than someone in your family, who do you go to for a hug? Do you have a friend who you go to for a hug? 
if you don't, make the, don't go the rest of your life without that kind of friendship. Finally, let's talk about one last area, and that is finding spiritual rest, spiritual rest. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let me, let me give some context there. In, in biblical times, when he's talking about a yoke, what he's talking about is a horizontal wooden cross piece that would fit over the necks of oxen or donkeys uh, as they would pull a cart or a plow. And in a sense, the people of Israel were yoked to the word of God. They were yoked to God's laws. And those laws were positive. They were life-giving. They were encouraging because God made us. He knows how to maximize who we are. So God gave us teachings and commandments on how to live. But then what happened? The Pharisees began to add all kinds of additional requirements on top of the ones that God had spelled out in his word. In fact, they added 365 additional prohibitions and 250 additional commandments. And it was heavy on legalism and oppression, which brought guilt and shame to people. The burden on the people was heavy. And Jesus said the people were weary. And so Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm offering you my yoke. My yoke is easy and it's light. In other words, following Jesus is a fulfilling and a satisfying and a joyous, grace-filled experience. 1 John 5, 3 says that God's commands are not burdensome. They're designed to, he made us. He knows how to maximize who we are and what we are intended to become. So Jesus is saying, if you yield your life to me, if you live under my yoke, you will find rest for your souls. Now, this is relevant to us today because I think too many of us put ourselves under a burdensome and oppressive yoke. We fall into a pattern of legalism. Our faith isn't a fulfilling relationship with God. It becomes strict adherence to religious rule-keeping and performance. We compare ourselves to other people. We feel guilty because we fall short. So much of the love that we find in this world is conditional love. I'll love you if you do this. I'll love you as long as you're this way. And we don't say this out loud, but we kind of transfer that into the spiritual realm. And many of us have the implicit belief that if we just prayed more, if we just went to church more, if we just gave to the church more, if we just served the church more, God would love me more than he does now. And religion becomes oppressive and it becomes burdensome. And Jesus is saying to you today, no, no, no. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He loves you maximally because God is love. The writer Phil Yancey put it this way. He said, there is nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already loves you. 
And there is nothing you can do to make God love you less than he already loves you. You don't have to pacify God or prove your love to God. He loves you as much as you can possibly be loved. My friend Greg Laurie, a great pastor and evangelist, just this last week, he tweeted this. He said, God is not mad at you. God is mad about you. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. So Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. But what, what does it mean to come to Jesus? What does it mean to come to Jesus? Well, you know, we talk about meditating on the word of God. I happen to be meditating recently on a passage of scripture from the eighth chapter of the gospel of Luke. And it had an insight on what it means to come to Jesus in that way. In that particular chapter, we see that because of his miracles and his teachings, Jesus was starting to attract crowds and crowds of people. Throngs of people were coming to Jesus. In fact, the text said he was almost crushed by the crowds. They were bumping into him. They were jostling him. They were pressing up against him. But guess what? Nowhere in that passage does it say that anybody's life was being transformed. And I think this is what happens to a lot of us. We bump into Jesus. We come to him in the sense we read a book about him. We come to church and we hear about him. We're bumping into him. But our life doesn't change. But there was one person in the crowd. She was a woman who for 12 years had a chronic medical condition. And she didn't just bump into Jesus. Yeah, she's in the crowd. Yeah, she's in the throng. Yeah, she's jostling. But she didn't just bump into Jesus. She reached out to him and she clutched the edge of his cloak. And because of that gesture, Jesus healed her and transformed her and said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You see, she didn't just casually encounter Jesus. She reached out to him. She desperately clutched the cloak that he wore. And friends, that's what we need to do. As we come to Jesus, it means we, we, we come to him with open hands and we reach out and we clutch, we, we grab joyfully this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that he purchased on the cross when he died as our substitute to pay for all of our sin. And he offers forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift of his grace. But we got to reach out. We got to grab it. We got to make it ours. That's how our life is transformed. That's how we become a true son or daughter of the Most High. Have you done that? Is there a time in your life where you didn't just bump up against Jesus, didn't read something about him or hear something about him, but you opened your arms, you opened your hands, you received this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Have you done it? Let me give you the opportunity. If you're, if you're not sure, let me give you the opportunity to do it right now. You know, the Bible says, these things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want you in a sense of turmoil over whether, where you stand with him. He doesn't want you in a sense of ambiguity over where you stand with him. 
says you can rest easy spiritually. You can rest easy in the knowledge that you have been adopted as a son or a daughter of the Most High. And if you don't know for a fact that you have been, let's do it right now. Let's settle it right now. So let's just close our eyes and bow our heads. And if you want to reach out and receive this free gift of God's grace, I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. Just in your heart, God will hear you in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, as best I can, I do believe that you were the son of God. You proved it by returning from the dead. And right now I confess the obvious, which is I'm a sinner. I know that. I've done things I knew they were wrong before I did them, and I did them anyway. I've sinned. And I want to turn from that. And in an attitude of repentance and faith, I want to receive your free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you endured the torture of the cross so that we could be reconciled forever. Help me, Jesus, to live the kind of life that you want me to live because from this moment on, I am yours. And now, Father, we know based on your word that when anyone praise that kind of a prayer in repentance and faith. You have adopted them into your family forever and you have flung open the doors of heaven so that someday we'll see you face to face. We'll spend eternity in your presence. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you it's not conditional. Thank you that we can receive it in repentance and faith. And Father, may the rest of us who maybe been your children for a long time make this the year that we learn to rest more, physically rest, but also mentally that we fill our mind with your word and relationally that we have that one person in our life that we could go deep, deep, deep with because we share you in common. Help this to be a great year of replenishment for each one of us and may it be a year of revival as well that through that you will revive us, draw us closer to you, help us catch more of a glimpse of who you are, and we will give you all of the glory. And all God's people said, amen. God bless y'all. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.